And I shoot my shot, it's the Hawaii where it's going in. Cross niggas like Bubba Chuck, I never gave a fuck. Hook shot a hole like Kareem, but I never lead a fuck. I hit that Janobi with my left hand, all like, woo! Bitch, you want with me shooting in the gym? Wrong nights, I perform like Mike. Anyone, Tyson, Jordan, Jackson, action. James Harden with the range, on me nigga way back. Michael Jordan, 1985, bitch, I travel with a cocaine search. And you can live through anything if magic made it. It's your boy Max Bigavell. Shout out to the people out there. What's going on? Your boy with the Bruce Lee Roy glow. I ain't got a gray on me yet. <laughs> I'm killing y'all out here. I'm on my way. It's looking good. What up, my fellow Nick fans? This is your guy Marcellus Ease, and don't panic quite yet. Now, it's great to see a lot of the fan base is bing boinging. People are going in, enjoying the basketball. Especially, it's great to see that East Coast basketball has made its return. But as of right now, we'll touch base on a few dynamics that are playing out with the squad. One being that the Knicks are building on the momentum that they had from last season with the three-point shooting, and it's continuing on this season. So the league is going to have to start accepting the fact that this squad can make threes, and it wasn't a fluke from last season. We'll also look at some of the dynamics playing out with Julius Randle, some nights not having to take as much of an offensive load, but still having a positive impact on the team because we had playmakers. And even though this season we have more offensive playmakers, it has led to other things turning around, such as our transition defense, as of right now we're last in the league in that category. And we'll revisit the 2019 NBA draft. As we see Jean Morant this season is coming into his own, and also RJ Barrett is doing the same as every season he progresses and gets better and better, on the offensive end and on the defensive end. And meanwhile, he's getting bigger and stronger. Meanwhile, we're seeing the first overall pick, Zion Williams, not be as available. And with the footage leaking out of him being out of shape, we have to start to question the value system that was placed in that year's draft. And finally, we'll touch base on some of the league's rule changes as it has some effects on some of our adversaries, particularly the Brooklyn Nets and the Atlanta Hawks. But of course, before I get to my weekly quick hits, I want you guys to check out the description below my weekly gems. There's a lot of things in there in that cloud. You could download straight into your phone from music playlists, things on fashion, cooking recipes, and many other things on fitness and business. So definitely you guys check it out. Now, last season, the Knicks were coming off a short pandemic year in which they barely had any preseason and training camp. And they were pretty much in the first year of rebuilding, especially with newcomer president Leon Rose. But that didn't stop that young Knicks team from overcoming their struggles in the beginning of the season to after having the Derrick Rose trade to becoming the top three teams in the NBA in three-point shooting. And believe it or not, a lot of people around the league thought that that was a fluke. And now this current season, the Knicks added more firepower to this team with Kimball Walker and Evan Fonier. And as we see how it's playing out, they're continuing to build on that momentum from last season as this year, we've pretty much been top two teams and three-point shooting and this isn't a fluke i mean our roster pretty much really hasn't changed from last season we just added pretty much more firepower the only three-point shooter that we lost was reggie bullock 
if you look at our first eight games only night that we shot bad as a unit was the second game against orlando where we shot 28 percent from three pretty much against boston we shot 38 against washington 36 percent detroit 39 washington again 46 percent Orlando 44% and then Philadelphia 43% and then of course against the Pelicans we shot 58% and once again we could contribute the new additions to our team and Evan Fonier and Kemba Walker especially Kemba surprising me every day especially with that right knee just just holding up man he's doing step back threes he's shooting really well from three even though his minutes are up and down but him and Evan Fonier is definitely helping us keep that stat line up and teams are going to have to respect that, especially members of the media, because this trend is pretty much here to stay as long as these guys stay consistent and healthy. So a lot of these media members are just going to have to learn how to love it. Promise you this, above all else, I'm going to be more obnoxious, more overbearing, and I'm going to make you all learn to love it because you'll have no choice. Now, speaking of the squad's characteristics, Julius Randle this season does not have to do as much as far as carrying the scoring load night after night. And I spoke about this in his contract with negotiations. When the Knicks added Kimba and they added Evan, of course, Julius Randle, him negotiating his deal kind of made sense because he just wasn't going to be required to put up those same numbers night after night. And we see it playing out this season. As the game in Chicago, he didn't really have a strong scoring output but at the same time, he was still effective because he almost got a triple-double. And guys like RJ and Kimba, they got cooking. And the same thing happened in the game in Philly. He kind of didn't really have to score as much, so he didn't have to attempt as many shots. But he was still very effective as he almost triple-doubled in that game also. And there were five other Knicks that scored over double digits. And there was a few other Knicks that was in the cusp of scoring over double digits with guys such as Obi. Burks and Quickly in that game were almost over double digits coming off the bench. So there was a lot of love to spread. And Julius Randle, especially with his vision, this guy low-key, man, he does everything. So there's other ways of him impacting the game outside of carrying that scoring load night after night. And let's not forget that game against the Pelicans. Randle only attempted nine field goals, but five other Nick players were in double digits particularly RJ, that's the game that he went off in. But as you can see, Randall was still very effective in that game. We're also gonna have to credit the way Tibbs is kind of playing out these lineups. This year's squad is very deep, and sometimes the way he rotates these lineups, he has Randall kind of going back to his original form and just playing that kind of point forward position. That pretty much worked really well last season, but in certain key spots in the game, Tibbs will go to a lineup that will allow Randall to play out that role. And just looking at other characteristics of Tibbs' lineups, as we can see, Kimba and Rose, they're pretty much splitting minutes right now, especially Kimba. He's hovering around 20 to 25 minutes a game. It's good to see that right knee is holding up. His three-point shot is on point. At times, it's spotty, but Kimba, for the most part, he is holding up. But pay attention, my fellow Nick fans, to that right knee all season because we got to really see how that's going to play out with Kimba. Also, Evan Fonier. It's great to see Evan, man. He really bought into this Tibbs type of style, which I didn't really expect, but he's fiery as fuck right now. And that's something that we haven't seen from Evan, I would say in the last like two years. He looks like a Tibbs type player right now, and he seems like he's fully bought in. And Obi Toppin, oh man, Obi looking more polished. 
I mean, did you see that move that he pulled in Philly in that transition where he just got that layup, just stretched his arm out? He's just looking more poised, more focused, more balanced. Because remember, in his rookie year, there were times where he jumped too far away from the hoop and he mistimed it. He just looks more poised, especially coming off that transition defense. That's where Obi flourishes, man. And it's a beautiful thing to see. Just with Obi, hopefully his three-point shot gets a lot better. And also, it'll be interesting to see in case Julius Randle has any DMPs or any injuries or any just family emergencies where he misses a game. It'll be interesting to see how Tibbs plays Obi. Because I'm telling you, coming off that summer league, Obi just looked way more polished. And he actually separated himself from sort of the guys that hover around the G League and in between being in the league. He just distanced himself from that crowd. And I'm just wondering how Obi will look if given the consistency of playing about 30 to 35 minutes a game for at least a week to just give us Knicks fans that sample size to see how does that really even look like. And I'm just remembering now while talking about Obi and just him flourishing in transition, our transition defense is lacking right now. We're last in the league in transition defense, which is unreal. And we've seen it play out in both of our losses so far especially in the game against Toronto. The Knicks had too many turnovers, way too sloppy. And in transition defense, they just weren't there. Toronto played a lot harder than the Knicks did. I don't know where that lack of energy is coming from because sometimes we've seen it with the Knicks, especially closing out games. They're just not as assertive. It's kind of a gray area. It's kind of weird right there. But in the games against Orlando and Toronto, which we lost, You've seen that same kind of lackluster energy. We just didn't have it. The other team was beating us to the ball, you know, in scrappy plays. It was just weird. Even though in those games, we had good amount of stretches where we looked like we could have dominated those teams. But just that energy didn't carry over for all four quarters. But at the end of the day, we should be confident that all this is going to be addressed because the Knicks don't want to fall into that rut of just overplaying opponents that they think is going to be difficult and then underplaying opponents that they deem to be a lot younger and easier. Like Toronto to even have Barnes play that night and for them to just outplay us, especially with OG. OG is not really even a scorer like that. We just had him looking like Vince Carter out there. I don't know what was going on. But once again, the Knicks hopefully don't fall into that rut of just overplaying tough opponents and then underplaying opponents that they deem that are easier. Because we tend to see that this is a position where older veteran teams or kind of championship teams kind of fall into, but they actually have the breathing room to fall into that because they can go up to another level. But the Knicks, we had a great start this season, but hopefully we don't fall into that right now because that's a bad habit to have, especially in the position that we're in. We're still building, we're still learning, we're still trying to figure shit out and just underplaying opponents, especially in the games against Orlando and Toronto. I feel like they kind of downplayed their opponents subconsciously. So that's why they were getting out hustled like that. But if we played opponents that were deemed to be tougher opponents, we'll kind of overplay it. Once again, it's kind of a tricky situation, but hopefully Tibbs, especially Randall, Randall does not like that shit. And that shit gets addressed real quick, especially after the game against Orlando. So it is what it is. I'm confident that these issues will get addressed. And speaking of issues, this season, a lot of people are complaining about these new foul calls, particularly our main adversaries in the Brooklyn Nets, a.k.a. James Harden, and the Atlanta Hawks, a.k.a. Trey Young. Last season, coming off that bubble, was one of the most epic years ever in the NBA as far as scoring. There were teams that even had losing records that just had epic numbers and just overall scoring. 
and it seems like the league had kind of dialed that back a bit with these new rule changes and it's affecting a few different teams and players first of all in the first i would say 10 games of this season so far the league has had some of the fewest free throw attempts per game in the modern era also the league has had the lowest offensive efficiency since 2014 and if you remember around 2014 2015 that's when they kind of dialed the rules up a bit to kind of favor that three-point shooting that we've seen the warriors take advantage of so ever since before those rule changes the league has kind of reverted back to those days and speaking of the earlier low scoring days the league overall the field goal percentages have returned to like early 2000s level which is crazy <laughs> and the miami heat they're holding opponents to like 85 points per game so things have pretty much been dialed back a bit and if you look at guys who took advantage of the old rules and that were flourishing guys like trey young james harden and stephen curry all their scoring averages are down about three points per game this season now even though trey young is a main adversary for the knicks and the rules have affected him this season but he overall still has a very deep squad that he's playing with so he has other guys to help him but mainly these rules have really affected james harden and the brooklyn nets most of all and that's really what i want to focus on here because the dynamic with the brooklyn nets especially being a main adversary of the knicks it's very unique well for starters with Kyrie out of the lineup james harden is asked to do more so he's no longer hiding on cruise control as he did last season by just playing the point guard role the i'm the third string guy trying to get you guys going he could no longer hide behind that gray area and now he's actually pushed to the forefront not only his game is pushed to the forefront also him being in the spotlight of the new york city media which in its own is going to be a very unique circumstance as james harden is a guy who does not like criticism and does not perform well under pressure i'm, I'm confused i'm confused right now yes this definitely does throw off the media with james harden's game especially due to the fact that in the first five nets games he only attempted 15 free throws when in the old days when he was playing in houston he would attempt about 15 to 19 free throws per game and keep in mind that was in the western conference where every night teams go pretty much run and gun and james was playing against teams who normally don't play defense teams like the younger phoenix suns the sacramento queens i mean the kings <laughs> the portland trailblazers with dame they definitely play no defense the okc thunder the pelicans the memphis grizzlies the younger lakers they were going up against teams once again that just try to either imitate golden state or just fail at imitating golden state when it comes to that run and gun fast paced style so keep in mind this is james harden playing in the faster paced western conference now james harden is in the eastern conference and this is something that the media has never ever taken into consideration especially with these new rule changes is that james harden now finds himself in the eastern conference with new rule changes with less foul calls and which is a bump and grind conference slower pace bump and grind defensive oriented conference if you look at the top of our conference you got teams like the miami heat the philadelphia 76ers the milwaukee bucks those teams all slow the pace down and they play lock of defense and for the most part in the last like 10 to 20 years the eastern conference has pretty much been a bump and grind slow to pace down type of conference so this is where james harden finds himself in a unique predicament right now 
and just the overall style of play between both conferences, this is something that has to be taken into consideration of why he's performing the way he is. And just understand my fellow Knicks fans, why am I mentioning these things? Because the Brooklyn Nets this season are operating with a few chinks in their armor. I know they've spent a lot of money and they're building their super team and they want a guaranteed championship hoping to buy one, but that's just not how it works. And this Kyrie Irving situation has opened up a lot of holes with this team. And keep in mind, this is a small unit team. They don't really have centers like that. They got LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin down low. And they were supposed to be really top heavy with Kyrie, James Harden, and Kevin Durant to outscore teams, even if they play sloppy defense. So now they kind of have one of their superstars kind of have something that kind of added a positive to his game kind of taken away. And at the same time, he does have issues performing with media pressure. Remember how Kevin Durant went on the radio, said the Knicks weren't relevant, that the Brooklyn Nets were low-key and quiet. Now, right now, without Kyrie, things for James Harden is not going to be low-key and quiet. He is going to be an eye that the New York City media will be looking at. And with that added pressure, we'll see if he even gets to a point where he wants to renew his contract. Because he's not even guaranteed to be on this team that long. And just looking at the past, we've seen James Harden while being under pressure. He checks out pretty quick. So once again, these rule changes have had a different effect on Trey Young and James Harden. Trey Young at least is still protected by having a deep roster. Now James Harden performing in a very top heavy team without Kyrie, a lot of the pressure is going to fall on him to keep up and perform with KD to lift the rest of this team up and to make up for the difference that Kyrie can't provide while not being there. And for James Harden, to not get these foul calls and to also be performing in a very physical bump and grind Eastern Conference with the Milwaukee Bucks, Miami Heat, even the Knicks playing top level defense at times and the Philadelphia 76ers. All these dynamics may create an issue for James Harden going forward. So to my fellow Knicks fans, even though the Brooklyn Nets have sort of built a super team and spent the money to have a super team things are not so black and white going up against us this season especially with the deep roster that we have last but not least this is going to be a series i'm gonna call ping bong and this will be volume one as we'll take a look back at the zion williamson nba draft aka the 2019 nba draft and we're gonna have to look back at this draft and put a different value system on the top three picks based off of their impact, their current trajectory, off of the work that they already put in, and their overall improvements from season to season based on the roster talent or lack thereof that's around them. Once again, I repeat, the Zion Williams NBA draft has to have some strong reconsiderations for the value systems that was placed on the top three picks back in 2019. I'm, I'm confused, I'm confused right now. Now, my fellow Knicks fans, you're probably wondering, why the hell am I saying this? So for those of you that are watching the video version of this episode, as you can see, there's this leaked clip. And once again, I repeat, there's this leaked clip of Zion Williams working out in a private Pelican practice that was closed to all cameras, media, and it's still leaked out of him working out. And he's clearly overweight and he does not look even close to a return date especially at that weight i don't know what the hell they're feeding zion williams down there if he's eating too much jambalaya down there in new orleans but god damn 
the Pelicans had mentioned at first that Zion was supposed to be ready by the beginning of the season. And even Zion said it out of his own mouth and so did the Pelicans GM. Then in the start of the season, they said, oh, he's going to be ready in two weeks. Then after those two weeks, they say he's going to be ready in three weeks. So right now, the Pelicans once again with Zion, just like his rookie year, they're pretty much in limbo with this guy as far as when is he going to be in game condition to come back in the court. Meanwhile, his peers in the same draft class are making impacts and significant strides on their respective teams, especially Jean Morant. As right now, he's looking like the consensus overall correct first pick of that draft. I mean, he is killing right now, and his impact on his team is a lot more than Zion ever was in his second year. Because let's face it, Ja has less talent around him, but the Memphis Grizzlies last season were able to make the playoffs as an AC. Meanwhile, Zion, out of RJ Barrett and Ja Morant, has been drafted to a team that has the most talent with Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Drew Holiday, Eric Bledsoe. He's played with a number of guys, but yet these guys still finish at the bottom of their respective conference. So Zion's performance last season overall was very good, even though he only missed about eight games. But at the end of the day, the overall impact on the team was very low because once again, they still finish at the bottom of their conference. So for starters, I put that a strike against Zion, especially going up against Ja Morant in this debate. Because once again, Ja is on a team with way less talent. And in his first two seasons, he has team fighting to get into the playoffs. And also, let's not forget that the Pelicans do mask Zion on the defensive end as he's quite not there yet, especially with his conditioning. He's explosive offensively, but he's not able to replicate that on a defensive end. Not quite yet. His conditioning has to get up there. So Ja, with his availability and overall impact on his team, if I have to Monday morning quarterback this, I would have to look back and overall place Ja Morant as the best value at the number one pick for the 2019 draft. Now, my fellow Knicks fans, this is where it gets tricky because once again, with this lottery system, I always say a lot of this comes down to luck and positioning. And let's not forget, they laughed at us for not getting the Zion pick. Once again, Things with the ping pong balls tend to come down to positioning and luck. And just looking at RJ Barrett from year to year, his first year he averaged 14 points per game. His field goal percentage was hovering around 40%. His three-point percentage was around 32%. But he did have that injury, and then the bubble happened. But then when we look at his second year, we see there was a lot more improvement, especially shooting from three. His three-point percentage went from 32% rookie year to 40% sophomore year. And his field goal percentage went up four points. And he averaged 17 points per game. Now, this year so far, we see yet another leap. He's averaging more points. And also, at the same time, on the defensive end, RJ is definitely doing his thing. And we've seen it play out early this season. He was able to lock up DeRozan. He was able to give Jason Tatum issues and Zach Levine. Once again... RJ Barrett is becoming this two-way player and for the value system of that draft just looking back based on his availability his willingness to get better his conditioning all these things combined I'm going to have to place RJ Barrett correctly as the number two pick of the 2019 NBA draft based on the value that we've seen and once again my fellow Knicks fans I keep saying this draft comes down to positioning and luck because we were the ones that did get the number three pick. 
And if you look back at Monday morning quarterback this shit and just based off of the value, Zion Williams would have technically fell as a number three pick, which was the pick that we had. Once again, that is based off the value that we've seen after we Monday morning quarterback this shit three years later. And another reason I'm gonna have to put Zion Williams at that spot at number three is because even as a young NBA player who's only played about 62 games at 285 pounds, he's already had a broken foot and a torn meniscus. And with both injuries in his rookie year and in this current season, they've had the same excuse where it should only take a couple weeks to heal and then it's taken months. So his weight issues is creating an effect on his ability to quickly recover from injuries. His weight issues do make me wonder if the Pelicans franchise could really handle having a mega superstar like Zion Williams. Because if it was in New York with those same weight issues, best believe as a major franchise piece, the organization would be invested to get a world-class, maybe vegan chef to help him out with meals as he recovers from an injury in which he can't physically do work. There'll be major investment put into him because the revenue that he generates especially even for the Pelicans. As we've seen for the Knicks broadcast, they said that the arena would have been filled up if Zion was there. And I'm wondering if the Pelicans just right now are not invested in Zion or they're just not ready to handle a superstar like Zion. Or who even knows, maybe the culture, just the food, the Southern cooking down there in New Orleans is just too overbearing and they don't really have a culture of just eating healthy as much as they do in the East Coast. Some of these things sometimes, these things sound small, but some of these things could play out and create major issues. And when I say things like the Pelicans cannot handle a superstar like Zion, just go back to when Shaq was in Orlando. Just go back to some of the footage of some of the ownership speaking, how they lost them to the Lakers. They weren't ready for a superstar like that. Sometimes with some of these smaller market franchises, they're just not equipped to handle a mega star that's actually bigger than the logo of the team. And sometimes they pretty much fumble the bag. As we've seen with the Pelicans, they're pretty much fumbling this whole Zion Williams experience, not only for their franchise, but for the rest of the league. Once again, when it comes to this NBA draft, it's all about luck and positioning. And in 2019, I remember when we got that third overall pick, I remember thinking like, we might've got saved from getting this Zion Williamson guy because something might not end up working out with him. I remember just thinking that in the back of my mind, like us getting number three might not be as bad when we look back at it. And every year that's going by, it's starting to look that way. Once again, with the draft, everything is about luck and positioning completely. You don't need the top three or four picks sometimes. You could look at Giannis, you could look at Jokic. A lot of players in the league right now, Damian Lillard, these guys weren't even top 10 picks. So once again, it's all about that positioning and luck. So it is what it is. You guys definitely check out the channel page. You can see other videos to things pertaining around the NBA. We got NBA moments pivoted where we take a look back at championship teams and just pivotal moments that happen throughout the league. You can also hit up the Panic community discord chat and also hit me up on social media, especially Twitter. I'm on there, especially during the games. So definitely hit me up. All the links are in the description or in the channel homepage. So it is what it is. You guys stay safe. Until next time, peace.